The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Jaws of Justice Radio strives to investigate how to achieve justice in America. We strive to dispel the misconceptions created by the news and entertainment industry, politicians, and our educational system. We hope you will listen. Today we will help all celebrate Martin Luther King Day as host Melvin Merritt will speak with Mr. Kevin Woolfolk, Director of Activism and Membership with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Greater Kansas City. Dr. Martin Luther King's Jr.'s organization, the SCLC, was best known for mobilizing large nonviolent protests in places like Birmingham and Selma, aimed at moving the national conscience and pushing the federal government to support civil rights initiatives. The SCLC is a nonviolent direct action social change organization founded nationally in 1957 by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and a group of Southern ministers. The Greater Kansas City chapter of SCLC was formally organized in 1972, and they're dedicated to the continuation of Dr. King's dream in metropolitan Kansas City. Since 1969, SCLC of Greater Kansas City has sponsored the annual King Holiday Celebration. This year, the Mass Celebration is today, 6 p.m., at the Metropolitan Missionary Baptist Church, 2310 East Linwood Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. The featured speaker is Ajamu Webster. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up, and wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, or Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same, we want to be free. Good morning, Kansas City. Welcome to Jaws of Justice right here on KKFI. 90.1 FM on your radio. That is our show today. We're going to be talking about Martin Luther King. And then my guest is Mr. Kevin Wilford. And he's going to be sharing some of his own personal experience because he's a member of SCLC and uh, some of his other experiences as it relates to some of the Black history and we're going to dive into it. And also, we're going to open up the lines later on. And the number you can jot down right now is 816-931-5534. So you're going to have an opportunity to join the conversation as it relates to Martin Luther King's celebration on today. 
So I want to first welcome Mr. Kelvin Wilford. He's a member of SCLC, and uh, he's going to share a little bit with us. And I want to first stop and say thank you for being my guest, Mr. Kevin, can I call you Kevin? Because I may assassinate your last name. Absolutely, Pastor Merritt. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, tell us a little bit, and this is what we're going to be talking about, is Martin Luther King, but we talked about on the phone, and we want to kind of tell, share uh, a little bit of that things that are surrounding Martin Luther King. and then. But first, we want to see, and we want to ask you, uh, what brought you into the to this arena, so to speak. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Merritt. Uh, and by the way, uh, to everyone at KKFI in the, in the audience and in Kansas City, I uh, want to first say Happy King Day to everyone. Uh, today is, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King holiday, and we are celebrating that. Uh, you've already mentioned we're having our mass celebration tonight. It's going to be cold outside, but it will be warm in God's house. So we hope we get a good turnout tonight. We hope uh, we, we hope we get a good turnout tonight uh, because there's a lot in store. Uh, but you asked uh, what got me started. Well, Brother Melvin, as we spoke over the phone, I explained uh, that you have know, always been an, an activist uh, from a very young age. Uh, I moved to Kansas City from St. Louis in 1984. And, you know, we had some really, really great people that were part of that uh, whole movement. We had uh, the late Reverend Dr. Nelson Fuzzy Thompson, who was the president of SELC of Greater Kansas City for uh, 25 years or more, probably. But he, you know, we had ad hoc group against crime. We had the national black United front. Uh, we had members of the nation of Islam. So as a young man, I never joined an organization because I felt I would be limited in my activities and my activism. Mm -hmm. So I liked them all. I liked what everybody had to say and what everybody was contributed. And I thought I would be limiting myself by joining an organization. Now, what brought me to SCLC of Greater Kansas City was the Dr. Martin Luther King Boulevard issue that ramped up around 2018, 2019. I didn't get too much involved because I had pretty much given up that Kansas City wanted this thing to happen. Uh, a street named in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. It was the 50-year fight. But they got it done. And I was hooray for that, even though I didn't participate. I hated I didn't. Uh, I regretted I didn't. But then, of course, things turned. And we had a group that got out there and worked to have his name removed from what is now the Passale. And there was a vote. There was an election. And the city voted or uh, the citizens of the city voted, the majority of them voted to remove Dr. King's name from that street. And that hit me in the heart. And the reason they were doing it, they were justifying it. But the basic reason for it is that they had equitable interest along the Purcell. And they thought that Dr. King's name would hurt their property values. They, they can say 
they said a lot of other things, but that's basically what it came down to. And what really spurred me was when that vote happened and I was watching the news and I watched these people toasting champagne, <laughs> celebrating removing our founder's name from that street, one of the greatest Americans to ever live. And I got in touch with, before that, Dr. Howard, who, uh, Dr. Vernon P. Howard, who's president of the local chapter of the SELC of Greater Kansas City. And I said, I want to get involved. I want to get in this fight. And we started a process with him. We, we continued the process, actually. And I joined SELC probably January of 2020 for the first time joining the organization. And we continued to fight. We never stopped. We continued to try to work with the Parks and Recreation Department, which we did. And we were uh, able for the first time to actually get a meeting. Uh, Jermaine Reed, who used to sit on the city council, pushed an effort to try to get Dr. Name on the street, Dr. King's name on the street, but he couldn't even get a meeting with the Parks and Recreation Department. But I think because the city was so embarrassed, not only here in Kansas City, the state, nationally and internationally. This was, a, this was a huge story when Dr. King's name was moved from that street. And so that's how I got involved. I got involved because I wanted to get in the fight to get Dr. King's name on the street here in Kansas City. Kansas City has more than 33% African-American population. And it was a shame. There's only 20 other cities, maybe 20 other cities that, are, that has a higher population of African-Americans than Kansas City. And it was a shame that we did not have a name, a street with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s name on it. So that's what got me in, Brother Merritt, that whole issue right there. That's why I joined SCLC. And that's where my journey began and continues to this day. And, and you may mention to, uh, uh, with, with me, the meaning of for sale. What, what, is, what is the meaning of for sale? The for sale, uh, the name itself is meaningless. Uh, in Spanish, paseo means to walk. Oh, to walk. Or it means to walk or to ride or to run. That's what it means in Spanish. So the name itself does not have an, even any significant connection to, to Mexico or any Latin country. It's just a very, very basic general name. It means nothing. It means nothing now. But they tried to make it seem as if SCLC was kind of putting up an affront to, to the Hispanics. 70% uh, of the people live along Paseo right now, African-Americans, 70, 80%, maybe about 4% Hispanics. So it had nothing to do with Hispanics, but the name means nothing. So that name is a general word in the Spanish language was more important than having one of the greatest leaders and greatest American of all time on that street. And they pulled his name down. And, and it is a shame. There are some other things that happened uh, along those lines, Brother Merritt, but we would need an entire show to talk about everything that went on with that. There were some lives told. There were some attacks on SCLC. They accused us of disenfranchising voters. We've been fighting against the disenfranchised for more than 60 years. Mm. 
Well, that let us know that what brought you into the forefront of this uh, this uh, fight or this uh, uh, keeping things uh, up in the forefront. And uh, want to thank you for your passion in this uh, area. But tell us uh, just to move on. Uh, we want to talk about a little bit about the things that were surrounding uh, the movement at that particular time back in the 60s. And tell us a little bit about Mr. Robert Templeton. Okay, well, you're talking about uh, an artist uh, by the name of Robert Templeton. Uh, you know, and by the way, but just going back right quick, you know, we did get Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. name on the street. It is now what was once Volker. Uh, Swope Parkway going east and west and Blue Parkway. It's about six miles. So we did get that done. And it's, we're glad. We're very happy that Kansas City was able to do that finally. And you, you, you was telling me about that yesterday. And I was trying to pinpoint it in my own mind and come to find out last night on the news that there was a murder took place right there in that area of Swope Park and, and Martin Luther King uh, Boulevard. And well, you know, unfortunately, uh, Kansas City is plagued with crime, just like all areas in the United States of America. And one of the things, and we probably will hear about that, all oh, murders happen on Dr. Martin Luther King Boulevard, but you know, murders are happening everywhere. Everywhere. You know, we can do another whole show on crime and and, and law enforcement. Uh, but I didn't hear about that. But you know, even if I did. It's a sign of the times of where we are. We have a crime problem, a public safety problem, a public health problem in the United States of America. We got to do something about that. That is true. Uh, yeah. Back to uh, Mr. Templeton. And we were talking about uh, the various individuals that use their artistry and their talents to keep that movement uh, alive. And I think one of his theme was, lest we forget. And tell us a little bit about and some of the other ones that I had mentioned that uh, that really kept uh, the, that movement during the turbulent 60s was James Baldwin Gill, Scott Heron and the Lonious Monks and, and all of those different individuals that played a part in that movement. And tell us a little bit about a little bit more about Mr. Templeton. Yeah, uh, Mr. Templeton, like art played a significant role in the civil rights movement, very significant role. Many artists through paint, print, music, poetry, photography, etc., contributed to their contributed their skills and talents in the fight to end systemic racism, discrimination, injustice, and inequality. Now, American apartheid, otherwise known as Jim and Jane Crow in the South, and the so-called subtle but blatant racism and segregation in the North were challenged on all sides from the works and expression of not only the black artistic community, but from a plethora of talented creators of all races and ethnicities. Now, I'm not an art expert, but there is no doubt that the creative artist of every dimension played a pivotal role in breaking the back of systemic racism in America. The arts community were also important when it came to raising funds, the Congress of uh, Racial Equality, CORE, raised significant funds from exhibitions organized by various groups from the art community. So the art community played a major role. Now, the one artist uh, that you're citing, Robert Templeton, who happens to be white, but it doesn't make any difference what, what your race are, 
you do great things, you get credit for it. Now, he has a work entitled The Civil Rights Collection. And within that, lest we forget, the, the collection is within the Civil Rights Collection that he created. Now, the Lest We Forget series features some of his illustrious paintings of legendary African-Americans and pivotal moments in history, such as the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, they are all great works of art, but one that comes to mind now was the late Benjamin Mays. Uh, mm -hmm. Reverend Mays was president of Morehouse College for 27 years and was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor when he entered Morehouse at the ripe old age of 15 years old. You know, Dr. Mm -hmm. King was a genius. So Robert Templeton works includes paintings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, and others. He also painted montages of the civil rights area, uh, era. Uh, one of my favorites is entitled King Gandhi Montage, which is a depiction of Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. King. It includes an image of Rosa Parks, Ralph Abernathy, uh, Benjamin Mays. It also has an image of Dr. King being arrested in images of protesters in India and the United States. Of course, you know that Dr. King model had as a paradigm his nonviolent movement in America based on the nonviolent movement of Mahatma Gandhi that Mahatma Gandhi used to liberate his people in India. So other uh, uh, Templeton montages are the Young Blacks, the Detroit Riots, and the, the 80 years in the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, so Robert Templeton was a significant player during the Civil Rights era from an art perspective. And you know, I, you alluded to the fact that uh... Uh, Martin Luther King, because I recall that Martin Luther King uh, went to visit uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And, uh, but you mentioned that he never uh, had a meeting with him. And only that he had adopted his philosophy of nonviolence. Right. He never met Mahatma Gandhi. But while he was in India, he ran across some resources on the methods that uh, Mahatma Gandhi used and thought that those methods would play a, a pivotal role in the uh, nonviolent direct action in America in gaining rights for African-Americans, for, uh, for all people who were marginalized in the country. So he used what Gandhi had when he went to India, he found out what was going on, but he never met him, but definitely what Mahatma Gandhi did played a pivotal role and how SCLC and other civil rights organizations uh, use nonviolent direct action to gain equal rights, uh, justice, and equality for everybody. Remember, Kansas City, if you're just now in tune, uh, tuning in, you're listening to Jaws of Justice right here on KKFI 90.1. I am interviewing and talking with Mr. Kevin Wilford, and uh, he's a member of SCLC. And he has just shared his a little bit of his experience. And we're talking about things that are surrounding uh, Martin Luther King and what motivated him to uh, get into this movement. We understand that he was a, a Baptist preacher, a young Baptist preacher. And so we're going to dive into this. And also, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, call in at 816 nine three one five five three four and so you can get into this discussion um mr Ke uh can i again mention kevin 
We yes. got about five minutes before we go to the second half of our show. And so tell us a little bit uh, about uh, this next movement that brought uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, that was Rosa Park, I believe it is. Uh, yes, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, anybody who follows history, uh, black history, uh, would know about the Rosa Parks incident, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Dr. King had moved there actually as a pastor of a church. Of course, he joined, uh, the activist movement there and, uh, basically how he got involved with that. He was selected to lead the newly established Montgomery Improvement Association. Uh, it is a group of mostly uh, pastors and ministers. Uh, the Montgomery Improvement Association uh, was dedicated to uh, freedom and justice for black people. Of course, we were, we're talking about the South, so it's absolutely brutal, absolutely murderous down there. And blacks had to pay, uh, pay when they got on the buses. Let me just stop. When blacks got on the buses, they had to pay in the front of the bus and then get off the bus and go in the back door to get into the black session. They were not allowed to walk through the white section. So they had to enter through the rear since they were not allowed to walk through the front or white section of the bus. Now, 15-year-old Claudette Colvin and 18-year-old Mary Lewis Smith before Rosa Park were arrested for refusing to give up their seats for white people in previous incidents before Rosa Park was arrested for the same thing. Just Rosa Park's story was the one with able to get out there. And Dr. King was one of the ones that pushed their stories out there. So members of the Montgomery Improvement Association chose Dr. King because he was new to Montgomery, Alabama, and had not been there long enough to make any friends or enemies. And plus, of course, he was a great orator. Just, you know, we, we, we just heard, you got you just played on KKFI, the type of orator he was. So they figured he was the type of person that would galvanize the population. And of course, the Montgomery bus boycott was very successful and integrated the bus system uh, in that city. And, but he got involved. He never thought he was gonna be leader of any movement uh, people chose him to do that. And he felt that they chose him and he felt he, as a very young man, he was about 26 years old. He felt that God had called him to be a civil rights leader and to join the movement. But he never like, I want to be a civil rights leader. He never was that type of person. We got about two minutes and just for the, uh, for the knowledge. And then most of our probably listeners are aware that if this was, this took place around about 1955 to 56 mm -hmm. during the bus boycott. And, and as you mentioned in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and which is really interesting. And as you said, it was really, really brutal at that particular time for blacks. Yes, it was. They had to tiptoe wherever they went to and they had to hold their finger up. And they had came in the presence of other people outside of their own uh, ethnic group. Or color, and so that that was in itself was demeaning for us. I you know for since I found out about it, and I thought it was horrible. We got about two minutes before we go over into the second half of our broadcast, and I want to remind our listeners that you can join this conversation 
at 816-931-5534. So on the second half, you will feel free to call in and, and any knowledge or information that you may have, you can feel free in joining this. We got about one minute uh, and we're going to go ahead on and close out this set, this first half. And, uh, and I'll see you on the other side, uh, Kevin. Okay. Thank you, Melvin. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the American Democracy Minute, keeping your government by and for the people. On May 9, 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke in Kings Tree, South Carolina, about the importance of voting on the eve of a state primary. Here are his words. Let us march on ballot boxes until somehow we will be able to develop that day. And men will have food and material necessities for their bodies, freedom and dignity for their spirits, education and culture for their minds. Let us march on ballot boxes until men and women will no longer walk the streets in search for jobs that do not exist. Let us march on ballot boxes until the empty stomachs of Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, Louisiana, and South Carolina to feel. Let us march on ballot boxes until brotherhood is more than a meaningless word at the end of a prayer, but the first order of business on every legislative agenda. Let us march on ballot boxes. We've linked to more of Dr. King's speech archived at the University of South Carolina's Moving Image Research Collections at AmericanDemocracyMinute.org. I'm Brian Beal. Support for KKFI comes from Community Landing of America. Their Community Minute for January spotlights Band of Angels, whose mission is to address the financial barriers students involved in music face by providing band and orchestra instruments, music camp and college scholarships, and follow-up support to children in need. One way they serve is by accepting band and orchestra instrument donations at any of the three Meyer Music locations in the KC area. Learn more about Band of Angels all this month at Community Lending of America's site, CLAKC.com. Hi, this is Maria Hall, co-host of Law and Disorder. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. here on KKFI 90.1 FM in beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. We're now moving to Monday, 7 p.m. as of January 2024. That's Monday, 7 p.m. Law and Disorder will be now broadcasting Monday evening, 7 p.m. So keep it locked in right here to KKFI 90.1 FM. KKFI is committed to diversity in programming and discourse. And we're proud to announce that we're rolling out a new programming schedule in early of 2024. All of your favorite locally produced shows will stay on the schedule. And we'll be adding several exciting new shows as well. So stay tuned for more information coming soon about the new programming schedule here at KKFI. We'll return to our program after the calendar for the week of January 15th. Today, January 15th, starting at 10.30 a.m., going till 3 p.m., 
they're having a day of activities in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. at the Lawrence Public Library, Lawrence, Kansas. Story time with Barry Washboard Barnes. Zydeco to-go performance in the atrium. At noon, tacos and a performance by Ian Cook in the auditorium. 2 p.m., an open mic with Black Lawrence in the auditorium. Monday, January 15th at 6 p.m., the SCLC GKC has a mass celebration event at the Metropolitan Missionary Baptist Church, 2310 East Linwood Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. Featured speaker is Ajamu Webster. More information on Facebook. Thursday, January 18th, 5 to 7 p.m., Hope and Healing for Survivors of Homicide is an adult support group sponsored by Casey Mothers in Charge at 3200 Wayne Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. For more information, call 816-912-2601 or email caseymothersincharge at gmail.com. Saturday, January 20th, there are numerous events, including virtual events, at Bigger Than Row to show that reproductive freedom is bigger than Row. See more at womensmarch.com. Saturday, January 20, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., the Greater Kansas City Women's Political Caucus Campaign School is at the Sylvester Powell Community Center 6200 Martway Mission, Kansas. This is an annual event focused on supporting women who are interested in running for office and for people interested in working on campaigns at all levels of government. The training is free of charge thanks to a grant from the Women in Politics Foundation. For more info and to apply, go to Facebook GKCWPC. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our program and hear Melvin Merritt speaking with Dr. Kevin Wolfel of the SCLC GKC. Welcome back, Kansas City. You're listening to Jaws of Justice. I'm your host, Melvin Merritt, and I'm talking with uh, Kevin Wolford. Uh, he's a member of SCLC. And it's great uh, talking to him. But I got a little ahead of myself, Kevin. Uh, I wanted mm-hmm. to uh, ask you ask you about uh, Elmore Nickelberry. Tell me a little bit about him because something uh, he just passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, Elmore Nickelberry was one of the sanitation workers. In fact, he pretty much he. He recently retired. He was 90-something years old. He recently retired maybe about five years ago. But he was one of the initial uh, sanitation workers that were uh, organizing the Poor People's Campaign and the protest that Dr. King was to be a part of uh, before he was assassinated at the Lorraine Hotel uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. 
So Mr. Nickerberry uh, was a tremendous supporter of the sanitation workers uh, and at great risk to himself. Uh, he helped to organize uh, those sanitation workers to go out there and stand up and speak for their rights. And it's a tragic loss because a lot of people don't know about Mr. Nickelberry, but our history is very broad and very deep. And we have very, 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 uh, very, very diverse group of individuals. And he was one of them. And so he was one of the initial sanitation workers that worked with Dr. King to organize uh, the march and protest, uh, which it happened, but it happened after Dr. King uh, was assassinated. So it's a great loss. And, you know, I think we, we need to pay tribute to him because of his major role that he played in that struggle. And, you know, I, I, I thought about because uh, they had did an interview with Mr. Nickelberry. He was at the age of 92 when he passed away. Yes. And, and so they, he was sharing what took place with uh, the black sanitation workers. And he was sharing about how that they would pick up the trash and maggots would fall from their shoulders. And and they wanted to shower before going home and their uh, supervisors would not allow them to take a shower or anything. And they had to get on the bus smelling the way they were smelling with maggots dripping off their shoulders. He actually shared those things mm -hmm. and it was very degrading. And so when they called him boy, he said, uh, I am a man. And I think that that was their slogan at that particular time that I am a man. And that's what they their sign was to be held up was that I am a man because they got tired of being called boy. And because uh, that was degrading. And, and, and other names. <laughs> yeah. And other names. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I bounced, but I, we, we're talking about the things that were surrounding Martin Luther King. And uh, tell us a little bit about the Salem. And, and they just, matter of fact, I think they did a, a thing on television just a couple of days ago about Salem uh, March uh, on that bridge called the Bloody. Uh, it was Bloody Sunday or something like that. Tell us yeah, a little bit. Yes. And that was the uh, uh, the event that uh, brought uh, John Lewis uh, to the forefront. Uh, of course, they went there uh, to protest the racism and bigotry of the South, and they uh, uh, they marched across the Edward Pettus Bridge, and started out really, really solemn, really, really peaceful, and uh, then they got across that bridge. And we all know what happened. They were brutally attacked by the very, very racist police department uh, on that bridge. John Lewis was injured, uh, severe head uh, injury. But, you know, uh, Melvin, what John Lewis had and what Dr. King had is what we spoke, we spoke of James Baldwin earlier is that they had what he called a determined will. And to quote Baldwin, James Baldwin, one of his quotes is the determined will is 
rare, but it is not invariably benevolent, which mm -hmm. means he's saying it is not in every case well-meaning. But John Lewis and others that crossed that bridge, the determined will that they had, knowing that there's a possibility that not only could they be attacked, but they could die. Mm -hmm. They could die. And so when we speak of John Lewis, when we speak of Dr. King, when we speak of Nelson Mandela, of course, you know, Nelson Mandela was the president of South Africa, did 28 years in prison, prison. could have been released earlier, but he said, I would not be released under condition. I'm only going to be released if my people are free. And so John Lewis and everybody across that bridge had that determined will. And they believed that the impossible can be possible. One of Nelson Mandela's quotes that I love, one of my favorite quotes from Nelson Mandela is, it always seems impossible until it's done. Mm. So John Lewis and everybody across that bridge, they felt that it was possible. When a lot of black people say it's impossible, we'll never overturn this racism. We'll never overturn Jim Crow. Nelson Mandela, it's always, it always seems impossible until it's done. You and so you had to make that move to make the impossible possible. And that day on that bridge was the first start of breaking the back of Jim Crow. You you uh, mentioned John Lewis, and I, I'm understanding that John Lewis, after crossing that bridge, he ended up uh, being hit with a baton. And I I think, and if I'm right, uh, that he ended up with a plate in his head. Tell us a little bit of background for those that might not be aware of who John Lewis is. But John Lewis, of course, was uh, uh, a longtime congressman. Uh, in Congress, I believe, out of Georgia. And he was one of the greatest civil rights leaders to ever live. He believed in getting in good trouble. Now, what is good trouble? It means that you go out there and you fight for what you believe. In. Because Melvin... Back in those days, and even today, there's a saying that goes, everything legal is not right, and everything illegal is not wrong. And you had a moral premise, and John Lewis had that moral foundation where he believed that though racism bigotry, prejudice was legal, it was not right. And to break those laws that were morally wrong, they were illegal, but from a moral standpoint, they were not wrong. So they were, he, he worked on a moral foundation in the rest of his life to the day he died, when they commemorated that march uh, a, a, a few weeks before he passed away, he went back. He could barely walk. Someone had to hold both of his arms 
they commemorated that march and John Lewis was there. He died maybe three weeks later, I think it was. Okay. So that determined will that Baldwin talks about, you know, not saying that people that go out and determined to work and take care of their families don't have determined will, but there are those rare per people with that determined will that Baldwin talks about. That's John Lewis. That's Dr. King. That's Malcolm X. Because what they were doing could end their lives, yet they persevered with those endeavors because it wasn't so much about them. It's about a moral compass and what is right. Just because a law is legal doesn't mean it is right. If you're coming from a moral foundation, that's the essence of John Lewis. That's the essence of Dr. King. That's the essence of Malcolm X. And I think that, you know, what we're doing is, is keeping that dream alive and talking about Martin Luther King and talking about those people that was uh, surrounding that movement at that particular time. Uh, you mentioned about James Baldwin and the writing of James Baldwin. And remember I mentioned to you uh, the bagpipe uh, musician and gifted uh, black individuals that played the black bagpipe. Um, uh, oh, um, help me out here. Uh, his name was Rufus Harley. Rufus Harley. Yes. And I remember when I first heard Rufus Harley and what he did with that bagpipe and what I was used to hearing the bagpipe was completely different. And he put something different into that bagpipe that made it not even sound like a bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> he was awesome as a black individual that played the bagpipe. And go figure that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, Rufus, you, uh, Melvin, you hit me on, brother Melvin, you hit me on the Rufus Harley when we spoke this week. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about it. I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about any uh, African American that played a bagpipe. uh, bagpipes in the 60s. <laughs> I knew nothing about it. I mean, absolutely nothing. And I looked them up when you told me about that. And I, I pretty much spent about half a day just listening to his music. <laughs> I was so amazed at what he did with that bagpipe. And I encourage everybody go check this brother out <laughs> online. I mean, yeah. I was amazed. I'm still amazed. I was listening yesterday. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm I'm, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm just yeah, amazed. But it's one, it's it, another very, very deep person of determined will that would get up and say, I'm going to play to learn how to play the bagpipes, but I'm going to add a little jazz to it. I'm going to add a little soul to it. I'm going to add a little, little extra rhythm to it. Determined will. That's what, like I said, Baldwin talks about. That's what Rufus Harley had. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Yeah, I was too to when I first heard it. I thought, absolutely, I, I was amazed when I first heard it. I was a young man at that time and I heard uh, this black man playing the bagpipe and I listened to it and I said, is that a bagpipe to what he was playing? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say what he did with it and what I was used to hearing it as a bagpipe, you know, it, it was completely different. Mm -hmm. and, so he was a gifted individual and it, it very talented. And I was looking at the uh, television yesterday, and uh, I think the the sprinter, uh, uh, what's his name, Bo, 
and he always pointed in the air, and he was probably one of the fastest uh, black men that was mm -hmm. running. I think he's retired. His name is Bo. But now he's into racing cars. And, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, and, and even when they crossed the line and swimming, and we excel as a people. And that's the, the, the part that I think Martin Luther King actually was uh, expressing, you know, in terms of his message uh, about giving a people uh, an opportunity, you know, to, to be able to grow. And we also uh, talked about uh, uh, when Martin Luther King would be in that gifted orator and to be able to be on the forefront and being a young man at that particular time and being a Southern Baptist preacher. And tell us a little bit about what took place at the church of those three, I think it was three young girls, uh, you said four, uh, that was actually uh, killed in a bombing at the church. Okay, that, uh, uh, Brother Melvin, that was, uh, uh, that happened in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, in uh, uh, September of 1963. Uh, there were four girls uh, that was killed in that church. Uh, a, a white man came in, in and placed a box under the steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, for about 400 people were uh, actually attending services in the church at the time. Uh, the girls were in the basement in Sunday school class. Okay, so when it when the explosion occurred, the, the four girl four girls uh, were killed while in Sunday school. Mm. I mean, that's the type of world. That's American apartheid. That's Jim and Jane Crow. They have no respect even for the house of the Lord. Mm. And those those little girls, eleven year old Denise McNair, fourteen year old. Addie Mae Collins, 14-year-old Carl Robertson, and 14-year-old Cynthia Wesley, and, and dozens more were injured that day. But these were children who never had a chance to grow up, to be what Dr. King called, have that somebodyness. Mm -hmm. to get married, to have children. They weren't given a chance because of racism and bigotry. Children were a threat. It's sad. And it's a testament to the work that needed to be done at that time and to the work we still need to do today. At that time, that was the future that was taken away from us. Mm. And we have to save our future right now. We have, we, we spoke about a murder on Dr. King Boulevard just today. That's our future. And we have yeah. to do everything for that. But it, it was a testament of that time because the Ku Klux Klan and other racist organizations, they didn't care. They just didn't like black people. And they killed these four beautiful young girls because 
they didn't like the fact that black people existed and they wanted to make sure they sent the message that no matter what their job was to terrorize us and murder us because at the time they knew that they probably wouldn't be prosecuted for it. Yeah. You know, it's a saying, it's a sad, sad story. It's hard to talk about actually, but the Birmingham church bombings, that's etched in history. And that's one event that a lot of people remember to this day. Absolutely. Uh, we even uh, talked about uh, as well when uh, black people began to progress in America and with the slave mentality of not only blacks, but also the slave mentalities of whites. And we talked about uh, Wall Street, black Wall Street, and how that they had uh, progressed in and in that area, we, we you can feel the blanks in for me. And when we talked about the walls, Black Wall Street, and we got about five minutes. Okay, of course. Uh, basically, until this day, this 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 happens because we have groups out there. I call them the modern day Confederate movement, mm -hmm. and they have an antagonistic an antagonistic and I can't get my words out, antagonistic, antagonistic view of black progress. Whenever there has been black project progress, there has always been white backlash. Now that's not saying every white person is involved in this. I don't want people to think in your audience and that, oh, you blaming white people because that's what conservatives do. Yeah. Say something about one white person that's bad. They say, you're talking about all of us. No. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And the ones that yeah. complain about it are the ones that I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> but the three remaining, we had three remaining survivors. One of them just passed back in December. Hugh Van Ellis. He was 102. Mm. He passed in December. We only have two survivors that are still alive. We have uh, uh, Mr. Ellis's sister, Viola, Viola Ford Fletcher, who's 109, and Leslie Benningfield Randall, who's 108. Those are the last two vi uh, survivors of the Greenwood Massacre. Now, 300 people, and that's just a number that, because the, they never accounted for all of the bodies, but they estimated that 300 people died. Mm -hmm. And it started for the same reason. Somebody said some black person, normally they would say a black man did something to a white woman, raped her or groped her or looked at her wrong. And so they went and burned down that town, but it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with jealousy. It had to do with envy because black people were establishing their own life and the business leaders were becoming successful mm -hmm. and they weren't having that. So something had to be done, not because something happened to a white woman, a rape, but because these black people are progressing yeah. and they're inferior to us and they are riding around in nice cars, wearing suits. They have successful businesses. 
And we can't let black people do that. And so they went to that town and made up a reason to destroy it. And we have had dozens in Springfield, Illinois, East St. Louis, Illinois, Atlanta, Detroit. We had all these riots. I mean, Brother uh, Melvin, we should have dozens, if not hundreds, of multinational corporations that were founded by black people. Yeah. But because we of racism and bigotry and how they would burn down our towns and burn down those businesses, we have very, very few large corporations that are founded by black people. The Greenwood yes. Massacre exemplifies that. And that's what brought Martin Luther King in the forefront. But real quickly, we got about a couple of minutes and mm -hmm. right down to the fact that on uh, April the 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King had his life taken away at, on uh, Lorraine Motel. I had an opportunity to go to Lorraine Motel about two months after he was assassinated. And that was at 450 Mulberry Street in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, and a lot of stuff that was surrounded with that. And we know that uh, it's supposed to have been uh, the man, uh, James Earl Ray, was supposed to have been the one that assassinated him. And so we got about a minute. And just in case, uh, we were, we're talking to Kevin Wilford. Uh, he's with SCLC. And, uh, and I need to make sure that I say thank you for being my guest. We're Not running sure. out of time I and appreciate it. we brought a lot of information and a lot of uh, knowledge to this uh, very, very uh, necessary subject, which is Dr. Martin Luther King. Everybody go out and have a great day on Martin Luther King's day and go Chiefs. <laughs>
has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. 